0: Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. With you on another glorious week here in the state of Texas. Boy, a lot going on on the issues of faith, family, and freedom. If you're watching on Facebook, share this, like it, get it into your groups. Let's get some traffic on this because one of the biggest stories of this week has been the Save Women's Sports issue. We're seeing this from the Biden administration. This is something that's been growing for years, though. This attack, this assault, On women's sports by biological males. And it has gotten out of control. And there's been so much activity on this issue over the years that I think a lot of people really have forgotten about it while Trump was in office. Now that Biden is president, he has made this a wedge issue again. He's flipped the the script on this, if you will, and now wants to go on the attack. When a lot of people felt like the issue had been set aside for a while, we'll get into some of those details and what's happening lately at the Texas Capitol. So a lot to cover. If you're new to the show, we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom as they relate to the courts, the legislature, and the media. The Texas Capitol, it's hopping. There's stuff going on at the national level. And so wherever you're at, from your Christian worldview, you're going to want to hear about what's going on in religious freedom, pro-life. Oh, the governor gave a big speech earlier this week. So much to cover. But a big part of what we're going to cover this week for the issues that happen here in Texas relates to the Save women's sports issues. And that's why we've got a great guest on the show with us today. Matt Sharp is senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. He has been in the middle and key to so many court cases and a lot of times policy discussions as it relates to religious liberty, pro-life, and certainly when it relates to the issues of sexuality regarding sexual orientation, and gender identity, and the efforts of the left, other side, if you will, to redefine a lot of these biological, scientific issues. And so, but the most uh, up-to-date thing is to save women's sports issues. And he's been working alongside clients on these issues. Matt, welcome back to the Texas Values Report. Thanks for having me on. Well, look, it's good to have a close relationship with you and your team. You were here with us last year when we were able to have an event in person. We talked about some of these issues. We knew that they were gonna continue to be a concern. We were doing some prep work for the Texas legislative session, which started last month. And look, there was an election in front of us, certainly the idea that it was possible, you could see a change in administration. Uh, But one of the things that has changed is there has been a change in administration. And so I just want to walk people back for a second, because under Obama, there was a dear colleague letter, really an executive order of some type, telling schools that they had to allow boys and girls bathrooms, showers and locker rooms. There was concern that it would also impact sports. And then you saw a lot of concern and pushback. And then Trump came in and reversed all that and really set things back to the way they were before. Uh, And and so kind of established, reestablished some normalcy. But that didn't mean that there weren't other efforts in other parts of the state, excuse me, the country, making it difficult. Young ladies losing uh, competitions to biological males as the NCAA and other uh, sports entities sort of uh, changed some of their policies even though they weren't required to. And so now with Biden back, he's put this as one of his day one issues and made the issue hot again and relevant. And that's why we've seen a lot more attention on it. You've had a busy week. So has your team on addressing what Biden wants to do now, which is to force women to have to compete with biological males. And that's just unfair. Tell us a little bit about what you've been working on the issue.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of people may have heard that uh, on the first day in office, Biden issued an executive order that was directing all of his agencies to start pushing the gender identity ideology in so many areas and specifically calling out the sports issue. Well, we know what that means. We know that just like we saw in the Obama years, that the Biden Department of Education is going to be demanding policies, telling schools and colleges, you have to allow biological males that identify as women to compete on women's teams. And that's just unfair at its core. It means women are going to lose spots on the team. They're going to lose the opportunities to place on the podium. Perhaps even scholarships may be on the line that guys are going to be allowed to come in and take away. And so we've spent the past uh, couple of weeks really talking about this issue. And we've had several of our clients that we're representing in Connecticut and in Idaho who have been personally impacted by guys taking away opportunities from them, getting on the oh. airwaves and their stories. Yeah. Well, they've been active on traditional media
0: and social media this week. I saw your colleague Christiana Holcomb has been on a number of interviews. Fox news has been covering it. I know y'all probably done a lot of so- social media and it's interesting because this week is sort of this international week and, and some special day devoted to the history and the significance important of women's sports. And you got this viral video out there. Okay. That, uh, Cabot Phillips, I think is the guy's name. And I forget a uh, daily caller or daily wire. Who he worked for? This video of this—I mean, it, it certainly appears this very large biological guy that is racing in a women's sports track uh, event and just blowing everyone away. Not to mention looking quite much larger than the rest of the athletes, the women athletes. The, the video went viral. Nikki Haley retweeted it. I mean, there's been a lot of concern. So the question, really, I think in a lot of people's mind is, wait a minute, uh, how can we celebrate women's sports? while ignoring these, you know, almost efforts to take over and displace and set women back
1: decades. Yeah. It's, when you talk to some of these girls that have been impacted, they, they describe the years and that they spent waking up early, honing their, their, their God-given talents. And then they walk up to the start line and they look over and there's a six-foot tall guy being allowed to compete and to take away those opportunities and just blowing them away in the sports. That's not fair. That's not a level playing field for our girls. And I think that's why that's captured so much of the nation's attention, because they know this is not right. They know this undermines the hard fought gains that women have made on sports and so many other things. And I think it's why we also see this is a real bipartisan issue. Some of the best spokespersons have been groups like Women's Liberation Front, which is a self-described radical feminist group but they recognize here's another time when guys are taking away opportunities that women have helped, fought hard for and to to get those benefits that come from competing in sports.
0: Well and look you know we've seen uh, a lot of activity on this issue last week of, as we've described but it's been going on for a while and you know it's and it's interesting too because I have seen some discomfort or you know a lack of willingness by a lot of folks that Maybe are typically in the LGBT movement to want to get involved in this, and many of them that have cried foul. You've got Martina Navratilova, one of the most accomplished, if not the accomplished, women's tennis player. Maybe next to Serena Williams, but she was one of the early athletes who fought for this type of equality about having close or an equal amount of pay for women's sports, and particularly in tennis and other uh, venues. She's for quite a while been speaking out, expressing her concern with. the the transgender movement or moment as our friend Ryan Anderson calls these biological males that are competing in women's sports and they're taking away spots. They're winning championships. And the argument we heard for many years from the LGBT groups and others on sexual orientation, gender identity is, you know, we just want to be left alone. Just let our, let us live our lives. This doesn't affect you. Well, this case is different because when you're a competitive athlete and you're running and somebody is 10, 15, 20 feet in front of you, it's now affecting you, your ability to have a scholarship, have a place on the team, and a place on the podium. And so I think that's one reason why now, you know, in this situation, it is impacting other people's lives, and people see that and think it's not right.
1: Yeah, the Connecticut example is a a great show of what this does. The two biological males were allowed to compete in high school track and field. And within just a couple seasons, these two guys – dominated the field over 15 championships that they took 16 records that they crushed that uh, previously belonged to, to girls and over 80 times where a girl lost the chance to advance to a higher level of competition or lost a spot on a podium or other accolade because of these two guys it just shows you don't need a, a, a ton of men to destroy women's sports it just takes one or two in a state in a region And women are now losing out on all those opportunities. And I think we can all relate to that. We can all picture maybe our daughter or granddaughter who's worked so hard and finding themselves having no chance of getting these accolades of these opportunities because a male or one of his buddies identifies as a female and starts taking these opportunities away in sports.
0: Well, look, I mean, and there's a lot of stories like this. There are just a few, right? I mean, you mentioned the the number 80. I mean, there's a lot of activity out there on these different issues And, you know, look, I mean, uh, I know you've got a great website. Is it AllianceDefense.org, ADFlegal.org? Y'all got a few different ones. Is there one that y'all have dedicated to this issue for people to see kind of what's been litigated? What's the recent kind of activity on this?
1: Absolutely. So if you go to ADFlegal.org slash fair play, it's where we talk about all of our clients stories uh, about the cases that are going on across the country. And you can hear these girls in their own words tell how demoralizing it was to walk up to the starting line and know that you have no chance of winning that day. Um, You can also track the lawsuits that are going on. And so we've got them in Connecticut and Idaho, where we are standing for fair and level playing field for women in sports across the country. And as you mentioned, there are gonna be more coming down the road uh, with the Biden administration as they're pushing this out. There's gonna be other states that are fighting back. There's gonna be other girls that are standing up for their rights. And so I think we're just seeing the very start of a bigger movement and a bigger effort to preserve fairness in women's sports.
0: Well, I'm going to see if I can get on my screen, on my share screen, for those of uh, of our friends that are watching on social media. Uh, this is the ADF website, adflegal.org forward slash fair play. That's what a lot of the legislation is being called to. Texas has these pieces of legislation filed as well. Fair Play Movement, Fair Play Act. That's uh, There's a bill in the House by Valerie Swanson. There's one by Charles Perry in the Senate, we're going to be talking more and more about those issues. But you can go to this website, uh, like Matt was talking about, sign the petition, look at the different lawsuits. They've got some great video work. These are real people, okay, that have dealt with this issue. These are not hypotheticals. And so and some of these people that have been speaking um, on these issues, it's been happening to them uh, for years. Many of them have lost opportunities they cannot regain. And, um, but we can still do something about it. And so I know that's why you are very active on litigating these issues, but also giving people insight as they work on the state legislative issues. Uh, Idaho has passed this law. I know there are other states have been uh, looking at passing it. And it's a response, right? It's not our side, so to speak, or social conservatives or whoever that are looking to pick a fight and start something where there's not a real problem. There is a real problem. And now it's a, it really been magnified. Because the Biden administration has shown they're going to be very aggressive on this issue. And when they hold the purse strings, particularly for a lot of federal funding in schools, that can be a leverage that a lot of people get
1: nervous about. Absolutely. In fact, when Obama tried the same thing in 2016 with that Dear Colleague letter you mentioned at the beginning, there was a lot of schools reaching out saying, what are we supposed to do? And I think it was so encouraging. And and look, Texas led the charge on this. It was Texas that was filing the lawsuit against the Obama administration over that. That ultimately got a national injunction until President Trump came in and repealed that Dear dear Colleague letter. So I think we're going to see a replay of that.
0: No, I know, and and here's the interesting interesting things for those, you know, us lawyer types like you and I and others. But people, uh, other people can certainly appreciate this when there's usually a court case, particularly at the federal level. You can have these stages where the judge will say we think it's likely that you can win that's when people get a restraining order and i know times a lot of people think about restraining orders in in a criminal context but that word and phrase is also used when a government entity or some individual is restrained from doing something but it usually relates to some application of a law constitutional issues and so on but it's kind of something that happens in the beginning all right we're gonna put a stop to this until we find out more about what's going on but that's usually an indication that you got a pretty strong case That's what happened, to your point, in Texas when our attorney general filed a lawsuit on this similar issue that Obama was pushing. But usually when that happens, the court case in the order, the the, uh, really the effectiveness by the judge and who it relates to is usually just the parties or maybe a limited geographic area. But because the Obama administration, similar to what the Biden administration is doing now, their policy uh, applied nationwide, a Texas federal court judge said, I'm saying my order applies na- nationwide, which was a huge victory that I don't think a lot of us uh, thought was possible. And it's certainly not very common, but it does happen. That was enormous. And I do think you'll see Texas take a look at that again, particularly with that precedent, because once that case was over, now that issue sort of becomes moot and you, you have to start again or at least make a, you know, a, a new request. But that was four years ago. And there's been a lot more activity now people that have been You know, hurt, if you will, or damaged in some way, even more so. Um, And we've got a chance to do something in the legislature, too. And I think with the Biden administration, a lot of people are like throwing up their hands, right? What do we do? We got to wait till four years. Well, yeah, sure, if you want to elect a different president, but the states can be really active right
1: now in saying, we're going to draw the line on these issues, too. Yeah. And look, if Texas passes a a Save Women's Sports bill, that's actually going to help those legal challenges down the road. Because if Texas says, look, we've decided for girls in our state, we want them to have a fair level playing field and the Obama or the Biden administration has no authority to come in here and tell us what's best for our girls. That is not the role of the federal government. I think those are the types of lawsuits we want to see go up to the Supreme court where I think we've well, got a good chance of. Boy, Matt. I mean, see,
0: this is just a testament to how much time you and I've spent together. I was just about to go to that. <laughs> what do you think about the Supreme court I uh, appreciate you so much for the work that you guys do. It's a relevant thought, though, right? I mean, what? I mean, you have to imagine the Supreme Court, and, and they've touched on this here and there. There's been a couple of intermediate issues that snuck their way up. I know Obama was on the the opposite side of this issue, and there was a case that was making its way up there or bouncing around, and then Trump got involved and, and swapped sides. So,
1: a very real possibility that we could see this teed up for the Supreme Court. That's right. And we can't forget, even at the, the Bostock decision, the one dealing with sexual orientation and gender identity employment, that didn't go our way. But even in that, the court there was clear to point out look, there are different concerns when we're talking about gender identity in women's sports, because there are safety and equality and fairness concerns that apply there. And so I think even the court is very concerned about overreach on this issue and ultimately efforts by Biden to erase women's opportunities, to erase women's gains, ultimately to erase women. From the sport field themselves. Well, look, I mean, I mentioned Nikki Haley retweeted something. She's been doing a lot of
0: work as far as empowering women, talking about Title IX and some of those things. And in my, you know, this is my opinion, my per, you know, perception or observation, I could be wrong, but it seems like a lot of times, particularly at the collegiate level, those women's sports, I mean, they can be a little bit more fragile or vulnerable. They just don't get as much attention. The attendance isn't as high. It's not college football on some national stage. A lot of times, and so I imagine, you know, they're very sensitive to any attacks on them being able to, to continue to secure spots and to continue to have some real strength and opportunities for young women. And so it, these, this is kind of another attack, something, another issue they've got to deal with, particularly in a year we just finished where a lot of sports weren't even played. The question from day to day or week to week was, are we going to play, right? You saw a lot of that in the college football, the movement of you know, let us play or we want to play whatever the hashtag of the day was. But uh, these are things that matter a lot and can re- um, relate directly to academic opportunities. These can change people's lives. And so it's, it's more than just about did I get to wear a medal? While that's important in, in that type of fairness, there's a whole lot more that goes on to that. There are so many athletes that without their athletic abilities to complement their academics, they don't go to college that opportunity is not gonna be there. So I know that's one of the many reasons you guys are fighting so hard. I wanna show y'all's website real quick before we cut you loose, um, uh, Matt, and let me go back to my screen share here. And so I can bring that up because I want people to, to find out more about how they can get connected, get involved, and see a lot of uh, information that's already out there. org forward slash fair play is the website. Matt, I know you guys are working on this daily. Really appreciate all that you're doing. Keep up the great work, too, on the media side, getting that story out there. And uh, we'll look forward to being more in touch with you as we're just getting started in this Texas legislative session. But, you know, it's not very long. So um, it's going to get moving pretty quick here. That's right. We're looking for Texas to, again, lead the way on this issue. Yeah, we're happy to do it. We're happy to do it. Well, God bless you, Matthew, and all our friends at ADF. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, Matt's going to peel off and I'm going to switch gears a little bit to some other stuff that's been happening at the state level. In addition to these bills being filed on Save Women's Sports, the governor gave a big speech this week. Did you see it? Did you hear it? The state of the state is a biannual address, if you will, every two years, sort of in conjunction or at the same time as the legislature uh, convening and meeting, checking my timing over here. Uh, He gives an address about how are we doing as a state, what are some of the issues, he likely sees as priority or even emergency items during the state legislative session. Uh, This speech was no different as far as content, certainly was different in backdrop, he was not in the House chamber as he usually is. A few times I've been on the House floor in person to, to hear him deliver the speech and say hello, get a handshake with the governor. Um, during that or right before, or after that address, this was not, this was in a studio. I'm not sure what some of the details were, but there was no crowd, but the difference was his audience was much larger, right? I mean, usually that state of the state address is, I don't know, earlier in the day, 11 noon, maybe one, but, and, and it's probably broadcast by some media outlets, but it's kind of an internal, you know, speech um, with the primary audiences legislators on the house floor from the house and Senate and their staff, and family and special guests. This one, you know, really opened it up. I mean, you didn't even have to be in the state, right? It was on a lot of news stations, a lot of media channels, a lot of internet channels. And so I don't think it's an exaggeration at all to say that probably multiplied 10, if not 20 or more, the amount of people that saw it um, compared to the usual address. And so it is what it is. But I tell you what was very encouraging. He didn't talk about women's sports issues, but he certainly talked about religious liberty and about the pro-life issues, which are a big part of what we do. There's uh, great pieces of legislation already out there. Y'all heard us talk about it. One of our priorities, one of our top priorities is to make sure That it's clear in state law that churches are essential and they never have to be put in a position by any government official uh, to have the power to shut them down, particularly during some type of pandemic or other issue. Let the churches decide themselves how to handle it. Trust them to do that. And many of them may decide to close temporarily or from time to time for some of these health issues or pandemic issues, but that's their decision. Okay. That's not the government's role because churches are essential. And and we don't have to have a state law uh, to to state that. That's already the case. We want the state law just to match up with what already is, because we know if it's not in state law, there's going to be people that are going to try to find reasons to say, oh, well, it's not very clear in statute, or the language isn't specifically this way, so maybe there's this exception, because, you know, we've never had a pandemic before when the Constitution was written in, um, you know, the 1800s for the state of Texas. Well, they didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic, so this is different, you know, and so uh, that is why we need to have something in the Constitution, and we need to have something in state law. And look, I know sometimes people will say, well, the U.S. Constitution, First Amendment already says we have a religious freedom, or so does the state constitution, and or we shouldn't have anything in law that relates to churches, because then that opens up to be, you know, somehow the government to have some control or regulation. Look, I just want to make sure you're aware. Those type of laws already exist, okay? And I can help show you that, but they're all over the place in our state statutes, whether you want them to be or not. I mean, there's a definition about what religious organization is. There are limitations to certain things churches can do, what type of property they can have. And I may not agree with all those, but that trend in that uh, type of existence, that's already started. We're simply acknowledging that that's really the way things happen. So we need to make sure we have in law clearly where the church stands and what the limitations are. Uh, And for us to kind of have the argument of, well, we don't want any of this kind of stuff so the church can remain independent. That's just not the reality. You know, I heard some of those arguments on the marriage amendment. Well, we shouldn't just, we should just not even uh, legislate issues on marriage and keep the uh, government completely out of it. And the churches can do what they want. It's just not the reality. I mean, w- whether you want it to be or not, I just want, I have to be honest with you. That is not the reality in our state law. There are hundreds and at the federal level, thousands of areas of law that talk about marriage and talk about churches and families. So if we sit back and say, well, let's not, Um, get into any of that because we're going to perpetuate this idea that the government has a role. They don't need you to confirm or me to confirm to them that they have a role. They already know they do. So they're going to exercise control over the churches, whether you want them to or not. The question is, do you want to have something in there that says, this is the limitation of what you can do? And that's what we're doing. In order to make sure That the church is protected, you have got to have law these days that is specific and says that. Otherwise, someone else will find a way around it because it doesn't say it's specific in law. So, that is the reality. I ask you to trust us on this issue. The governor talked about that. He's going to make it a priority. So is he on the pro life issues. That's why we're doing that. We have got to be in touch with what the reality is, what the stakes are, and what the details are. And I say this because our team has been working on these issues. For almost two decades, we've seen it all. We know why. We're not going to put a law in place unless we know that it's going to be valuable and there's going to be some worth to it. And that is the case on these issues with religious liberty and with pro-life. Look, like I was taught in law school, you've heard me say it before, the law is a teacher. There is no way, absolutely no way that there are 60 million abortions in our country since 1973 if we didn't have Roe versus Wade decision. People base their decisions based on what the law says is okay. Many of them, not all of us. So as long as Roe versus Wade is still there, as long as we don't have laws that put strict limitation on abortions, people think it's gonna or, um, that it's going to be okay and our numbers are going to continue to be through the roof. That is just the reality whether we want it to be or not. I'd love to see less government and less state laws until we wipe them all off the book, so to speak, and start from scratch. though no, we're gonna operate from where we are now and what is. All these areas are dealt with in state law. We have to make sure they're dealt with the way that we think is appropriate. Otherwise, the other side is gonna dictate things. And so, hey, that's my, my big uh, speech for the day and rant, if you will, but people, we have a tremendous opportunity to have things done our way when it comes to religious liberty and life. Let's stay together. Let's um, work uh, hand in hand with the governor and other state leaders. I have never seen a speech this early in the session focused on two of the main issues that we have uh, worked on, at least in not my time. Tremendous opportunity. Hey, you want to know how the legislative process works more in detail? On this Monday, February 8th, we have a free training at noon. Go to our Facebook page. Go to our website. Uh, You don't have to pay to attend the event. The numbers are already extremely high. We're getting a huge turnout. It only costs, uh, excuse me, it's only going to be for about an hour. It's virtual. You can access it from wherever you are. So check it out at txvalues.org or go to our website, excuse me, our Facebook page. And if you see value in our work for Faith, Family, and Freedom, I do. I hope you will make a tax-deductible donation today at txvalues.org. And you can help us protect faith, family, and freedom in Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.